Okay, they're just pictures from the Philippines. I don't have any narration to them. I don't necessarily, we do know that uh, there's some of them from the shepherd's retreat. And then just, uh, I don't know, seven or eight of them are from just ministry there in the Philippines. So we're just going to turn the lights off up here and run through those pictures. And the, and the reason we wanted to do that, Pastor sent these pictures. And just, just so you folks can just see what's going on and certainly uh, see the pastors and their wives and what happened at the shepherd's retreat. So we're going to go ahead and show these real quick. We'll get started. Well, he just uh, just wanted you to see all those pictures uh, from what's going on there in the Philippines, and certainly it's just a blessing to to see them and uh, see some of those smiling faces. And I know that Pastor will have three weeks of catching up to you, or catching up, or you, you catching up with him. So uh, once he gets back, uh, so continue to pray for their travels. They travel, so it will be. Uh, when uh, Thursday uh, that they travel to Seoul, Korea, and uh, so that will be about Wednesday midnight our time, roughly, and about 4 or 5 a.m. Thursday morning they should arrive in Seoul. Uh, uh, 4 or 5 a.m. Our, our Thursday morning they should arrive in Seoul. So do be praying for them, and um, just um, they're having a good time, and it was a blessing, and so. Uh, we'll, we'll update you as we get updates. So we wanted to show those pictures uh, for everybody. Uh, just a few things here as we get the service started. Uh, we want to, let me see here. Well, uh, first of all, I want to just express appreciation for uh, um, Anna and Lisa Dirks. They made us a great breakfast for Operation Saturation or Light on Purpose. So we appreciate that and all that came out and also want to appreciate those that clean. Um, I know pastors mentioned this before, uh, but um, we get to see their work as they come, and, and uh, many of the ladies come and clean. Every now and then, Brad learns how to use a vacuum cleaner, and he'll be vacuum cleaning, and, <laughs> and he usually breaks them. 
But I appreciate that. We all appreciate that, just how you care for the church and everything stays clean, and we appreciate that. And, um, and then also, I, I just want to let you know that I appreciate Pastor Jared. Now, we, I've said it before, but Pastor Jared and I, we, we click. We, we, um, we work well together and, and just, um, just our kindred uh, spirits. And so um, I just want to appreciate Pastor Jared as we get to work together these weeks uh, without pastor um, making sure that we're behaving. And so, and then also, you know, we might, you know, you might want to think about um, just writing pastor a note, pastor and Jenny, and just say, hey, we missed you. Glad you're back. They'll be back in th uh, two weeks and uh, just dump it in his mailbox. And just, I don't know, just, just a thought. You, we missed you. We're glad you're back. And so uh, just be, uh, just be thinking about that. Of course, we want to continue to pray for B. Mummert. Uh, she was in the hospital last night. And just pray for her health. And continue to pray for Pete Heisey. Don't think that he's really doing so well, um, but um, we'll give you updates as we know them, so do be praying for him. Then also uh, pray for, uh, I believe, Joyce Corbett. Uh, Don and Sharon Booth told me on the way out that uh, Joyce Corbett is in the hospital. Many of you know her. And so do be praying uh, for her. And then also, uh, I think Pastor Jared mentioned that we got the final building drawings. And so uh, we got one last final real quick look, and then we'll be on our way to applying for building permits. And so uh, we praise the Lord for that. Just continue to pray for all that red tape. But we did get those. And then also... Um, Michelle McCleary, Michelle and Kate McCleary's Sunday school class. Now, what age or what grade? Third and fourth grade spent about three weeks building a model of the tabernacle. And this is really a neat thing. So at the end of the service, remind me, so if, if, if you're in Miss Michelle, Miss Kate's Sunday school class, at the end of the service... Uh, you're going to go back to the back and stand around your table back there. It's on display, and you have got to see this thing. So uh, these children are learning about these things that we read about in scriptures, and they're seeing it graphically, I mean, with their hands. And so really neat Sunday school that they did. And so it's back there, but at the end of the service, uh, they will be back um, at that table. So just go by and see that. Don't forget about, uh, let me see here, just, um, I'm just making sure I'm not missing anything. We also want to be praying for Dr. and Shirley Starr. They are preaching revival services today. I'm not sure how many days they go. They're in New Jersey, so be praying for them. And just numbers of others that are sick and just, uh, just need um, God's healing hand. It's good to see Harry with them this morning. I don't see him tonight, but uh, him and... Of course, continue to pray for Hilda. She is here with us tonight, but continue to pray for her. And um, then also, uh, let me see, and Cindy Nichols as well, Lil Stimple with her heart. So lots of folks to be praying for. We want to keep those before you uh, so that you can be praying for them. Now, on Sunday nights, we have been doing a prayer focus, a prayer focus. And so go to your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, real quick here. Then we'll get our service started Luke chapter 22 <clears throat> Luke chapter 22 and verse 42 Luke 22 and verse 42 now this is this is um, <clears throat> Jesus Christ praying and he's in the garden this is right just hours before he's crucified, and he's praying, and, you know, he, obviously he's praying a very passionate prayer. He says, Father, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I noted two things about this prayer. Number one, Jesus Christ prayed in the midst of his mission. Now, Jesus Christ's mission was to... Um, uh, come and die on the cross for our sins and uh, be raised again uh, to pay the penalty for our sins. But his mission that night uh, was that he's getting ready to go to the cross. 
And he's taking the time in the middle of his mission, in the midst of his mission, he's praying. Just a reminder for you and me, you know, prayer is not just reserved for your daily devotions, or it's not just for a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, but you can and should uh, when it's appropriate at work. But in the middle of your mission, you know, there are times you ought to stop and pray. Um, Lord, I need help with. Lord, I'm going into a contentious meeting. Would you help me? Um, uh, you know, as you're driving down the road, obviously with eyes open, middle of your mission, pray, okay? Pray in the midst of your mission. And number two, uh, the obvious thing about this verse is Jesus prayed in humble submission to his Father's will. And for you and me, that is the hardest thing, or one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing. We have prayers. We have passionate prayers. We have desperate prayers. But we also have the way we want them to be answered. And we have the timeline on which we want them to be answered. One of the hardest things for it is for me is to pray and say, this Lord, I've got this prayer. And he wants to hear your prayers. I've got this prayer request. But it usually comes with, would you answer in this way? Would you answer in this timeline? But instead, I, I need to let him know my petitions. And then I need to say, Lord, let your will be done in this. Let you be glorified in this. And so we see this in Jesus's prayer um, in the garden as he was getting ready to be crucified. All right, stand with me if you would. We'll open up in a word of prayer. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we do thank you uh, for today, Lord, that we can gather in your name. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the, the service tonight that we're, uh, that we're gathered here for. Lord, we just remember some folks that are hurting tonight, folks that can't be here, folks that just need your hand of healing. I think of Hilda and I think of Harry and Lil and Lord, others. We lift up to you Patron Merriman, who just is dealing with uh, just lots on and on. And Lord, we lift her up to you. We lift up to you Pete Heise. Lord, and ask that you would be with him, comfort his family, and Lord, uh, heal his body from this. Lord, there are many that uh, are just struggling with uh, spiritual things or family issues, and God, we ask that you would be with them. Lord, we ask you be with our pastor and Miss Jenny as they uh, minister over there in the Philippines, and Lord, as they're uh, with the Hardeckers, and Lord, I pray that those pastors and their wives left encouraged, and not just encouraged, but Lord, on fire to keep on uh, striving for the, the gospel there in the Philippines. And Lord, I pray that you would be with them as they travel, as they travel to Seoul. And Father, I pray that you would uh, just be with them. Lord, thank you now for our time that we get to gather together. May you be glorified in it. In your name I pray, amen. Brother Mark. Hymn number 186. Hymn number 186. When we begin to sing choir, please come up. We'll sing just the first and the fifth stanzas of hymn number 186.
Brother Steve, would you pray over offering, please? Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the weather you gave us today, Lord. We thank you for the clear preaching of your word that we heard so far today. Lord, we do pray for Pastor Starr and Jenny, Lord, that uh, as they're traveling, keep them safe, Lord. Have a refreshing time, Lord. Get them back here safely, Lord. Lord, I pray for the pastor bringing the message tonight, Lord, to be the word you want us to hear. Lord, I do pray if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, they take care of that tonight, Lord. I bless these gifts and give her in Jesus' name I pray. Please be seated.
Could you stand with me, please? Turn to hymn number 69. Hymn number 69, Oh How I Love Jesus. Again, we'll sing just the first and final stanzas of hymn number 69. Take out your Bibles and prepare for the preaching of the Word of God. You can take your Bibles. We're going to go to uh, the book of Psalms. We're going to go to Psalms chapter 101. Psalms 101. And in just a minute, we'll go ahead and read uh, the entire chapter. Psalms 101. <clears throat> We believe this was a psalm of David, uh, that David wrote this psalm when he was preparing to become king of Israel. Um, we're not exactly sure when in David's life he wrote the psalm. Uh, it was sometime before he became king or shortly after he became king. Some people think that uh, he wrote this while he was still serving under Saul when he, it was clear to him that he was going to become king. Some people believe he wrote this as he was on the run from Saul. And uh, and the the one occasion, Saul even spoke to him and told him that Saul recognized David would be king. Other people believe David wrote this as he was ruling in Hebron over just Judah before he became king of Israel. But regardless of when he wrote this, this seems to be a psalm of preparation as he's looking ahead to ruling Israel. So as we're going to read this psalm, keep that in mind. Um, Psalm 101, go ahead and look at verse number one with me. We'll read down through the psalm. And then we'll pray and get into the message. The Bible says in Psalms 101, uh, verse number 1, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily, privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. The psalm is dominated by a phrase, I will. So tonight I want to look through Psalm 101 and, and uh, preach a message. We're looking at the I wills of David. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving it to us, Lord, preserving it for thousands of years, and Lord, not only preserving the words, but preserving the, Lord, the impact and the effect, Lord, that it can have on our lives today. So, Lord, help us to understand these things. Lord, although David applied them to his life, Lord, many years ago, we can still apply them to our lives, and, Lord, they can change our lives today. So, Lord, I pray that your Spirit will work and speak to us from your Word. Help us to understand and apply these things to our lives. All these things in your, your name. 
Amen. <clears throat> the I wills of David throughout the psalm, he says it over and over again. I will do such and such. Or I will not do such and such. It's uh, these I wills that uh, form the whole psalm. The word determine is what comes to mind. When he says, when David says, I will do this, he's making a determination. He's saying, I've made up my mind to do something. Determine means to end or bring to a conclusion, to settle ultimately. So when David says, I will do this, he's really saying, the case is closed. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, or maybe more of an argument, <coughs> and uh, somebody says the effect, case closed, or they're done talking about it. It's done. You're, the decision's been made. That's what David's saying. So as we look through this, when David says, I will, and then he states what he's going to do, he's saying it's not a question. It's not, not something that years down the road, I'm going to look back at this and reconsider, should I do this or not? He's saying, I will do this, case closed. He's making up his mind. Boy, that's an example of many things we ought to do. People throughout Scripture did that. Uh, Daniel is probably one of the most famous ones we would think about. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Daniel was determined. Daniel was a, a slave, a captive. And even though he was a slave and he had to do whatever they told him to do, he made a determination, case closed, I am not going to do that. And he stood for it because determination drove him to do these things. So throughout this psalm, David is saying, here's the things I have determined to do. Determination will drive us to do something, to, to hold through with something. I, I read a story. This person, uh, um, uh, he, he was bringing out some lessons that he saw from watching a, a documentary. And he, he was uh, reading this account about how Hawaii was found years and years ago. Some of the first people uh, to discover it. He, he, uh, he read about how a group of the Polynesians um, who inhabited many of the, the islands in the South Pacific, how they were determined to find this land. And they knew there was land out there because there were certain birds. Um, uh, I don't see the name of the bird, but there was a certain bird that would always migrate that way and then come back. And they knew there had to be land out there somewhere. Because if the birds went that direction, they had to have somewhere that they were landing on. So they determined to find it. So they would go out during the migration season, the birds would fly out, and they would be in their little canoes, and they would follow them as far as they could, but they couldn't keep up with the birds. The birds would keep on going, and they'd lose them. And they, were, they would navigate and, and track where they were, and they'd come back. And the next year, they would go back out to where they last left off, and they'd follow them farther and navigate a little farther. And each year, they got a little bit farther because they were determined to find something. Um, it was something like 2,500 miles from the nearest land to when they finally found Hawaii. And basically a kayak. I wouldn't want to do that in a cargo ship or anything like that, let alone a little kayak. What drove these people to do that? They said, there's something out there. I've made up my mind. We're determined to do it. Case closed. That's what David's talking about here. Now, we know a lot of David's life, he didn't always follow through with everything, but he was a man of, after God's own heart. And many of the things that he determined, he followed through. When he said, I will do such and such, case closed, that governed his life. That controlled what he did. As Christians, we probably have a lot more things in our lives we ought to be saying, I will, than we do. That's a determination. Case closed when I get up Sunday morning, I'm not going to wonder, am I going to go to church? Am I going to do this? I'm going to do that. We should have some determinations, things set in our lives. Case closed, I'm doing this. What moved David to make these determinations? Before we jump into it, I was just thinking, why, why would he do this? Um, it could be that he, just as he was a man after God's own heart, he started looking at, boy, this is what God's going to have me to do. God wants me to, the, to be king. How do I become a good king? How do I prepare for it? We don't know exactly what drove him to come up with the I wills, but maybe a reason was he looked at this task God had him, for him to do. He said, boy, I've got to prepare myself. If, if I'm going to be a good king, 
I need to do certain things. It may have been looking at the task ahead of him. It could have been that he saw a godly man, a good man like Saul, go into the kingship as somebody that everybody respected as a good man and completely fell apart. Maybe David looked at Saul and said, boy, everybody admired him and respected him 40 years ago. And this job of being king destroyed him. I don't want to end up like that. So in order to not end up like that, I will do these things. For whatever reason, David showed great wisdom in making determinations. I will do these things. And he recorded them for us. And God preserved them for us so we could have them today. So there's uh, many different I wills in here. I want to look at seven different determinations, seven different I wills of David uh, that he did that I think are very applicable to our lives today. Let's look at verse number one. The first I will of David is I will sing. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Now, David was a musician. He was uh, famously the musician who played for Saul. When Saul had an evil spirit, uh, David came in and he played his harp. He was a musician, so this would have been natural for him to, to sing, to put things to music. Uh, the first word there, I will sing, uh, that Hebrew word is seer. It literally means um, to sing with the voice. It's the same word uh, when Israel crossed the Red Sea and, and God drowned Pharaoh and his army. Miriam sang about what God did. The horse and the rider at the thrown into the sea. That's that word. Singing. It's like telling a story, passing something down, singing with the voice. The last word in this verse, unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. That word is zamar, uh, which is to touch or strike with the strings. It's the idea of an instrument. David was a harpist. He would have touched and struck the strings of the harp. So he's given the idea, hey, I'm going to sing, but he's also recorded music with it. He's playing the harp as he's singing. He's put effort into this. He's singing. I was thinking, all of these determinations, why would he make a determination to sing? Now, his main determination is to focus on mercy and judgment. But why would he preface it with the fact that he's singing? I started thinking about singing and, and doing a little bit of study. The what you're singing matters more than why. But the fact that he's singing meant something. Why would he sing? Um, David was making this much more permanent than just thinking about or just reciting or just saying, I'll think about mercy and judgment. I'll keep that in the front of my mind. By singing, he's making it a lot bigger deal. The singing was used to memorialize works of God. I mentioned before, Miriam sang this song about God overthrowing Pharaoh. And it's recorded. Israelites probably sang that for years to come. It was a song that helped memorialize God did this. So when David sang about mercy and judgment, it was memorializing it to, to people around him, to his family, to people to come making a big deal about God's mercy and judgment. Uh, singing was a way of teaching the younger generation. You sing a song, your children learn it, they sing a song, their, their children learn it, and it goes down through the generations, and the what is communicated through the song. So David is singing, communicating, passing down mercy and judgment of God. He's passing it down through song. Singing helps us remember and memorize um, you know, one of the memorization techniques we often use is to sing about something, turn something into a song. You know, in junior church, you sing about the New Testament song. You sing about the disciple song. There were 12 disciples. Jesus called. I'm not going to put you through having to listen to me sing. But you probably know the song. Um, singing helps us memorize. In college, we came up with some of the dumbest songs to memorize certain things for tests. And, uh, you know, you'd be studying, and if you could put this list of things to a song, it was going to help you remember it. All that to say, David is putting a lot of effort into remembering and keeping mercy and judgment right in front of him. And I'm just picturing David singing about this. Maybe David's sitting in his home, playing the harp, singing it to his children, singing it to others, and the whole time he's keeping these things in front of his mind. He determined to sing, to keep these as a big deal. But what were the things he was singing of? David determined to sing of mercy and judgment. Well, these seem like two opposite things. 
mercy and judgment. In a way, they're opposites, but in a way, they go hand in hand. David was becoming king. He needed to know when to give mercy and when to pass down judgment. That's one of the main roles of a king. So as David stepped up into this role, he said, Lord, I need to be right with mercy and I need to be right with judgment. I need to keep these in front of me. And he sang about it and he said, I will sing. I have determined to keep mercy and judgment a big deal in my rule as a king. Uh, I was just thinking about him watching Saul. Saul many times passed judgment on people he should have given mercy to. Thinking about Saul misusing his power to chase after David. Somebody that had no business being punished and he should have been giving mercy to whatever offense he thought David did to him. But instead he put judgment on David. David ran, uh, ran away. We read about Saul and his men coming to Ahimelech the priest and finding out that Ahimelech had helped David even though he didn't realize that Saul was against him. If any time there should have been mercy given, it was then. And Saul, instead of giving mercy to Ahimelech, poured out judgment and killed 85 priests and their families. So David saw, watched his successor, King Saul, pour out judgment where there should have been mercy. David watched Saul, or, or read about and heard about Saul, giving mercy to people that should have been judged. God commanded Saul, go fight the Amalekites, kill the king. Saul goes, and he keeps Agag the king alive. He keeps the best of the sheep, the best of all. He gave mercy when he should have judged. And the impact that had on the country was horrible. So David's watching that, and he steps in, and he says, hey, if I'm going to be a godly king, I need to give mercy when I need to give mercy, and I need to pass down judgment on the times that I need to pass judgment. Boy, especially leaders today, that's something we need to determine. I'm going to be merciful when I need to give mercy, but I have to judge when I need to pass judgment. So many of these I wills, I feel, apply specifically to fathers. And there's a lot of us in my, my age group, stage of life, I, I feel like young fathers. We're just trying to figure out this fatherhood thing, uh, figure out how to raise a child. How, what do we do to train them? One of the things we ought to determine is to be merciful when we should be and give judgment when we need to give judgment. Amen. Leaders, we need to know this. How do we know when we need to give mercy? We need to, we need to walk with the Lord. We need to be led with the Spirit. We need to be studied and know when we should pass these things. But, you know, I think a lot of times we know when we ought to be merciful and we know when we ought to give judgment, and it's a matter of doing it. Um, a lot of times... I think we'll know, boy, I ought to punish a child for such and such. But I don't feel like fighting that battle right now. <laughs> um, or, you know, I should be giving them merciful, or mercy about such and such, and, but, you know, that just really made me mad. And judgment gets passed down because of the anger of the parent instead of matching the offense was given. A good leader who's going to bring up the people under him and rule right and, and lead right, has to give mercy when he needs to give mercy and judgment when he needs to give judgment. And David said, as I'm entering this, I am determining I'm going to keep mercy and judgment in front of me. Christians, if we're leading, uh, influencing anybody, we need to make this determination to be merciful and give judgment when we need to. David was taking on this role as king, and he made that determination. The second, I will, he said, look at verse 2. He said, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. The second thing David said is, I will behave and walk perfectly. Now, this doesn't mean sinlessly, but it's, it's rightly, it's pure, it's clean. Uh, David made a determination to behave or act wisely and with discernment. He, he was going to be a wise man. He was going to be discerning and, and not just led by uh, whatever feeling or emotion he has at the moment. Um, 
He made a determination that he would act in a certain way, even in the privacy of his home, that he would have an innocent heart and conscience. That in his heart, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. There was going to be nothing in his heart that would accuse him that he was wrong. Um, He didn't make the determination that he would never sin. But he made the determination, when there's something in my heart that's wrong, I'm going to deal with it so that I have a perfect heart. I read this story. One day, Sergeant Ray Bars of the Midvale, Utah Police Department, opened his wallet to discover his driver's license had expired. Embarrassed at having caught himself red-handed, he felt he had no alternative. He calmly and deliberately pulled out his ticket book and wrote himself a citation. When he took the ticket to the city judge who assessed his fine, he said, how could I give a ticket to anyone else for an expired license in the future if I didn't cite myself? What he's saying is, I'm not perfect, I've messed up, but I'm going to be clean in my heart. I'm not going to have anything on my conscience that I know is wrong. He was determined to have an innocent heart. Christians, do we have a perfect heart? A heart that I know there's nothing between me and God. Um, Maybe it's time, especially parents, that we make this determination. How am I going to lead my children and teach them not to do wrong and teach them how to be right if I've got something in my heart that I know is not right and I'm not going to address? David made this determination, I'm going to have a clean heart. That's a determination. Christians, we really ought to be reminded of. Any of us have probably already made that. Case closed. When I have something in my heart that I know is not right, I'm going to clear it and have a perfect heart. The third determination. Look at verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Boy, we live in a sinful world. We're going to see wickedness. Unless we hole ourselves up and go up to a mountain somewhere and and never have contact with society, we are going to see wickedness. It's just because of the wicked world we live in. But look at this word, the, th- the third word of the verse. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. What David is saying, the things that I have control over, I'm going to make sure that I am not putting something by my actions in front of me that's going to cause me to observe wickedness. Um, you know, I've thought about this sometimes. What wicked things would David have had that he could have set in front of him? I'm just thinking, like, David didn't have a television. Um, David didn't have the Internet. David didn't have social media and a cell phone. You know, David didn't even have, like, a library. We could could go and and, and have tons of different books. And stuff. What were these things that David is saying, there's wickedness that I am refusing to put in front of me? I don't know what those things were. To me, I don't know that much about the... the Um, Old Testament times, but what sort of things did David actually have that he was saying, I need to be careful with these things? I don't know. But I know today there's lots of opportunities for us to set something in front of us that's going to make us see wickedness. And back in Bible times, David said, it's important enough for me to make this determination that I'm not going to do this. How much more important is it for us today to make this determination I'm not going to put something in front of me that will make me see wickedness. And he writes how important it is. Look at the rest of the verse. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. David recognized the fact, when there's wickedness in front of me, when I see it, when I set it there, it cleaves to me. Cleave, that's the idea of clinging, adhering, or pursuing until catching by pursuit, or overtaking. So it's, it's even the idea of David saying, uh, of clinging to me, something I might put in front of me, see it, change my mind, I don't want it, and turn away, but it's, it's attached to me, it's coming after me, and it's a result of intentionally putting something in front of us. Christians, we need the determination, I'm not going to intentionally put something in front of me, because it's going to be hard to get it, get it off me. 
It's going to come in through the eyes. It might go to the mind, and it'll be stuck there. Why would I put something in front of me that's going to stick to me that I don't want? And David made this determination, I will not do that. David made a determination in verse 4 not to have connections with a wicked person. A froward person shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked man. David did, did not want a froward heart. This is a heart that it's twisted or it's corrupt. It's a heart that tends towards dishonesty and selfishness. Um, what would David do to prevent himself from having this kind of heart? He's like, I, I don't want to have that heart, so what will I do to protect myself from that happening, I will not know a wicked person. Now, this no, it's not just, oh, I've met somebody one time. He's talking about an acquaintance. He's talking about building a relationship, a friendship. He's talking about, we know that the, uh, he's going to become a king, so having relationships with people that he's putting in offices, I will not know a wicked person. This is the classic verse of you are who your friends are. And David made this determination, if I don't want to be that person, then I will not have these associations. But sometimes we need to clean house. We need to get rid of things. We need to get rid of um, things before our eyes. We need to get rid of different stuff. But sometimes we need to get rid of relationships. And we have discernment. We know how to do that lovingly and kindly and carefully. But sometimes there's relationships. I'm close to this person. I've given this person influence in my life, and maybe they're not a horrible, wicked, wicked, sinful person, but they have an influence on my heart and are turning my heart forward or dishonest or away from where it should be. And I've got this relationship. So in order to guard my heart here, David says, I will not know a wicked person. I will not have a close relationship with that person. Christians, that's a hard thing to do. And that's why the determination beforehand is important. When you've built a friendship and a connection and you're tight, it's really hard to sever that. When you've given them influence in your life, it's going to be hard to take it away. But if we make this determination beforehand, I will not build these relationships with people that are going to turn my heart away from God. Give me a froward heart. If we make that determination beforehand, it will protect us from ever starting those. So making that determination, I will not. The next I will is similar. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. He said, I will not suffer the sinless. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Very similar to uh, he would not know a wicked person. David's describing a proud person. Boy, a proud person brings all sorts of baggage with him. And he's looking at somebody that's proud, especially as a king. Uh, most likely he's thinking about different people that he's going to put in different offices over as king and people in different areas of influence. And he's looking, I don't want a proud person ruling. Pride is going to cause them to not not live the way they should, not treat people the way they should, not give mercy and judgment the way he should. And it's interesting that he says he won't suffer them. Or he's not going to just endure it. You know, as a king, there were going to be people under him that he should probably demote, he should separate, he should get rid of. But it would just be easier to suffer it, to endure it, to just live with that person. Boy, Christians, don't we sometimes have things, maybe people in our lives, that we just suffer? I know it's not right. I know it's not good for me. One day I'll deal with that, but for now I'm just going to endure having something there that's not right. And David says, him that is proud, I will not suffer. I'm not going to endure something that's not right for me. I'm going to get rid of it. Kind of going along with these two is number six. The sixth I will of David still goes with associations. And he says, I will associate myself with faithful, faithful people. Look at verse six. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. He's looking for faithful people. 
as he's ruling, he's watching. That's a faithful person. There's somebody that I can trust. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. Building these, these relationships. There's a faithful person. That's somebody I want with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. If ungodly people are a detriment in relationships with us and are going to pull us away from God, then aren't godly people good for us and are going to pull us towards him? So while David made the determination, I will not have friendships and relationships and influence with these type of people, my eyes are going to be looking around for faithful people that I can have relationship with, that I can align myself with, so that they will influence me for right. Boy, friendships and relationships, it's easy for them to just happen, right? I just feel uh, like this would be a fun person to be with. I just enjoy being in their company. Is that how David determined his relationships? Or was it, this is a wicked person, this is a person with a froward heart that's twisted, that that's, this person's proud, that's not going to affect me right. So my eyes are looking for faithful and godly people, and those are the people I'm going to build relationships with. He's making a determination, before I build relationships, I'm going to examine and make sure they're people I should be building relationships with. This is an I will, a determination of David. The last one, uh, well, two more. The next one was interesting to me. Very, uh, very powerful, especially as I talk to fathers and especially young fathers. Look at verse 7. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. The next I will of David, he says, I will protect my house. Look at that verse again. He that worketh deceit. Deceitful people are, are, are hard. It's hard to trust a deceitful person because maybe they're, they're telling the truth this time, but they didn't last time. So I don't know. And if they come in, maybe this time they're smiling. Maybe they're talking to my children. Maybe they're helping them with this thing that's good, but they're deceitful. I can't trust. I don't know what they're actually going to do when I'm not there. I don't know what they might actually say. A deceitful person. And he says that, uh, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He's guarding his house. He's guarding his family. He's looking and saying, I will not let people come in that could have a negative impact on my family. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. He was guarding and protecting his house and all those in it. You know, we don't, uh, we don't have time to explore everything here with guarding your house, but I was thinking about this. Most of us, especially men, can understand this idea of guarding your house. You got a lock on your door for a reason, um, even though I don't always lock my door. But uh, we've got a lock on our door for a reason. It's to keep people from coming into the house and, and damaging our house. Many of us have... If somebody gets into the door, we got a plan B. Either a shotgun or uh, something that goes along with the Second Amendment. And what is that for? I'm guarding my house. I don't want somebody outside coming in and damaging my house or affecting my family in a way that I don't want them to, to change, to, to attack my family. So I'm going to guard my house. And we've got that down, especially men, uh, physically protecting our family. But there's so much more that goes into protecting the family morally, spiritually, ethically. And David is saying, I will not let the deceitful person in my house. He's saying, I will guard my house. I was thinking about that. What is more likely in my house? For somebody to knock down the door, walk in, and physically harm my daughter. Or for somebody, one way or another, to infiltrate my house and affect my daughter against God. Or against moral living. Which is more likely? Hands down, she's going to be influenced um, away from God. So if I'm going to protect my house... It's more important 
for me to protect the minds and the hearts of my family than it is just the physical life. That can come down to who am I allowing to come into my house and to talk and to fellowship and to uh, have my child's ear, even my wife's ear, even my ear. When the television goes on or uh, a book comes home from the library or a friend gives them such and such or uh, whatever it is, what is coming into the house and am I defending the house? Like I said before, there's a lot of young fathers in here, and this was struck me. David made this determination. Now, he didn't always follow through with it, with it the way he should. But a man after God's own heart, a man that was wise, that, that God used greatly, made this decision, I will guard my house. Men, have we made that determination, I will not let things come into my home that can harm my family. David did that. Something we ought to be doing. The last I will. This doesn't quite affect us as much, as much as it would have hit David, but it's something we can still be doing. And it's, I will cleanse my country. Look at verse 8. I will early destroy all the wicked out of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. David was coming in as king. It landed on his shoulders to cleanse the country, to get rid of wickedness, to make laws, to punish evil. That's something David had to do. And David made the decision before coming into office or right at the very start, I will early destroy the wicked. I will cleanse the country and make sure the country that God's given me to rule is clean as possible. Now, fortunately, none of us are king of, in our country. Uh, sounds like a horrible job. But we've all got influences. There's a time when it comes around to cast a ballot, to have this or to not have this, uh, for, for righteousness or uh, less righteousness. Uh, I was down at uh, the Rudders down here a little while ago, and there's a lot of renovations going on, and I just overheard a customer talking to one of the employees and complaining about the fact that they were the only rudders in the area that didn't have the beer cooler, and asking, when's the beer cooler going to go in? And I assumed it was just a done deal. And they told me, or the, they told the, the, the worker told the customer there, everything's in place, they sent in permits. They said it comes down to the ballot in November. It's on the ballot for the Chansford Township residents to vote to either approve it or not. I didn't know that. I didn't verify it. But the employee said it comes down to that. Christians, that's an opportunity to go in and literally cast a vote for cleansing and getting rid of an area of wickedness in our country. And David made the determination, when I can do that, I'm going to cleanse my country. Christians, if we can talk to neighbors and coworkers and influence them for righteousness and stand against wickedness, that's something we ought to be doing to cleanse our country. David had a lot more influence in his country than we did. But we can still do it. We can still have impact on cleansing our country. And David made that decision beforehand. When that opportunity comes up, I will destroy the wickedness whenever I can in my country. I said before, David made mistakes. We think about this early on. Yeah, David maybe started out well, but some things later on, boy, David made a lot of mistakes. We're actually going to talk about some of that next week. David made mistakes, but David was still known as a man after God's own heart. There were many, 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 many good things that David did. Many wonderful things that God used him, many great things that God accomplished through David. David was a godly man. He was a man like any of the rest of us, but he was a godly man. And I think one of the reasons he accomplished the things that he did, because early on he made some decisions. He made some determinations, he made some I wills, and he said, I will do this for the Lord. When this happens, I will do that. I will do my job of protecting. I will do these things. One of the wisest things we can do is to follow his example, say, Lord, what I wills should I be doing? 
what dis determinations and decisions should I be making now that when that pops up, it's already settled. It's already case closed. I don't have to think about it. I've made a determination, and it's done. The I wills of David, really, the I wills of, and fill in your name. What I wills does God want me to do? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. <clears throat> Just a few thoughts I want you to think about tonight in regards to this is how do we respond to the Lord? As we look at the I wills, was there an I will decision that God put on your heart? As we read these verses and you saw, oh, David made this decision. David said, I will do this. Was there an I will that God put in your heart and said, you ought to make that decision. You ought to make that I will. If he did, I was thinking through this. When God touches an area of our lives to make a decision, it's probably because maybe one of two things. One, God is speaking to us about something that's already slipped. And he said, this is slipping, and you may need to make a decision, an I will, a determination to get out of that, to bring this back. And that's a wonderful thing. We may look at something, boy, I've already failed at this. Make a decision, a determination to, I will stop that. I will bring it back. Or maybe God is revealing an area to you that you ought to make an I will decision to protect you from something down the road. Maybe it's something we see, maybe it's something we don't. Maybe it's something God can see down the road and says they are going to come to this crossroads and it's going to be a whole lot easier for them to do right, to stand strong, to please me if they make this I will decision now. I will decisions. I will do this for the Lord. Lord, I thank you for giving us David's example. I thank you for giving David the courage to make these I will decisions, to stand uh, uh, determined to do something for you and then stand by it. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us tonight. Lord, I know you spoke to me in study. And Lord, um, when a decision is made, it's just going to help us continue to stand strong for you. So Lord, if there was an I will decision that you want somebody to make tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll work in hearts tonight. As I said, with these two things, if there's something that you feel like you're going down a road and you need to come back, or if God's just speaking to your heart to make an I will decision, a determination, the altar's open. You can come talk to the Lord about that tonight. I will do this for the Lord. Thank you for joining us by way of the internet today. We're so glad that you were able to be with us, and we pray that the service was a blessing to your heart. Even though the sermon is over, our service is not over. At the end of our service, we give an opportunity for people to respond and come to an altar and pray over what God dealt with them about. Sometimes people come to call upon Christ and to be saved. Others come to make a decision for Christ regarding their Christian lives. Others come to call out to the Lord about special needs and situations in their lives. Maybe God has dealt with you today about some specific area of your life. I invite you to make an altar right there in your home, a quiet time before the Lord where you pray to Him and respond to Him about what He has spoken to you about. If you made a decision for the Lord today, we would be glad to hear about that decision and or answer any questions you have today about the message that was preached. You can contact us by way of email at info at mountziononline.org or by way of phone at 717-927-9227. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you joining us again for our live stream weekly on Sundays at 1045 a.m. and on Sunday evenings at 645 p.m. If we can meet a need in your life, please do not hesitate to contact us. Thank you, and God bless you.